When you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, and as you're getting your place there, just a reminder of the new series we will start next Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at how to deal with difficulty, trials, and suffering with a perspective not particularly on ourselves but a perspective on God and what is God doing and what can we learn about God in these things. And so that's the, the series that we're going to begin. And if you want to take a clue of our main text, the colors on there is your, is your clue. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And what you have in verses 26 through 40 is a continuation of get Paul explaining, here's what the assembly is supposed to look like. Here's what's supposed to be happening uh, in the congregation there as they assemble together. We have noticed in our study that essentially it is boiled down to chaos and noise, that you have all of these different people with their variety of spiritual gifts, using them simultaneously, using them in competition, uh, arguing over one another. It has really become a a mess is the window uh, that we see. And so Paul is now instructing, here's how the worship is supposed to go. This is what the assembly is supposed to look like. And as we've observed, and it's worthy of observing again, Uh, This gives us one of the best pictures of what a first century assembly looked like. And the directions that Paul gives that helps us understand what we are supposed to do when we assemble together for the worship of God. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is what I've entitled them the rules for worship. And he now lays out rules of how things are supposed to go. In verse 26 to verse 28, you'll notice that he gives the rules for the tongue speakers. And he begins by re-emphasizing something that we have seen stated really repeatedly through this chapter. Everything is to be done for the building up of the body. That was our main message that we looked at last week from verses 1 through 25. Everything that happens in the assembly has a primary goal. That we are built up in the faith. That we are built up spiritually. And now Paul says it again in verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. That is then the test, and that is the description of what we choose to do in worship. And we mentioned that's why we're not doing bingo. That's why we're not showing football. That's why we're not playing games. That's why we're not giving you coffee. That's why we're not doing all of those things. It's about what will spiritually build people up. That's what the assembly is for. And then you notice in verse 26 as well is that you get a picture of something similar to what we do on Sunday. Notice that it says that there's one who has a hymn, there's one who has a lesson or a teaching, one that has a revelation, one that has a tongue and an interpretation. And so these things are being done, different individuals, one person says, I've got a song to lead. So that song is led in the assembly. Another person has a teaching or a lesson to give, and so the lesson is given. Another person with that miraculous spiritual gift says, God has given me a revelation of prophecy. Let me tell you what God just said. 
You would have all of these things going on. And what Paul is saying is it's not that you aren't supposed to be using all of these gifts or have these varieties. But as the end of verse 26 says, let it be for building up. Let the songs be for building up. Let the teaching be for building up. Let the revelation be for building up. These things need to have a particular order so that everyone can have their faith built. Which now leads into that section of here's the rules. And you notice that he says in verse 27, if anyone is speaking in the tongue. So here is the Corinthian church with their miraculous spiritual gifts. And he now gives attention to the tongue speakers and he gives his first rule. He says in any given assembly, two tongue speakers or at most three should be all that speak in an assembly. That's it. And then he goes even further there in verse 27 and says, and everybody's supposed to take a turn. It's not all supposed to be happening simultaneously. So rule number one, two, maybe at most three, he says, that could speak the tongue. And it's not supposed to be at the same time. It's supposed to be each in turn. And there is to be an interpretation that is given to each each of the tongues that are spoken is the third rule. And then the fourth rule is that if there is somebody that does not have interpretation, then those tongue speakers are not allowed to speak at all. There's the four rules that are that are given. I think very important description that is given. And I think it's important to observe that as we've spent this time studying these three chapters, we've not only observed that the scriptures teach that the miraculous spiritual gifts have passed away because they were only given when the apostle laid their hands on another Christian. But notice even the directions that are being given here. And that what we see in the religious world today violates all four of these rules. That in assembly, in any given assembly, you were supposed to max out at three. And it was supposed to be everybody in a turn. Everybody else stays quiet while one speaks. And then there was only supposed to be then an interpretation to that. And if there was no interpretation, then that speaker was to remain absolutely silent during that assembly. That was the rules that God gave. And you can imagine then you get a picture of the chaos that was likely going on in the Corinthian church that Paul would have to give these rules and say, this is how it's supposed to go. This is what it's supposed to look like, which teaches us something important. Paul is going to observe it specifically to the prophets, but it's implied here. The speaker had power over the gift. If you have the ability to say only two or three and only in turn and you stay quiet, if there's no interpreter in the room, then that teaches us something very valuable. You have power over the gift. And there's no such thing as being slain in the spirit and I have no control and I just have to say what comes unto my mind or comes unto my heart. I can't control myself. The spirit's overwhelming me. That's not what God describes. It is completely foreign to the scriptures. Because what you have instead is reminders like Paul would have to give of don't quench the spirit because you have the power to do that. 
You have the power to not say what God is revealing to you. And that is being specified right here. There could have had a big congregation there in Corinth. And there could have been tens or hundreds. Who knows how many different tongue speakers. And he says, you know what? When we get to three, everybody else don't even say a word. It doesn't even matter if you get a message from God or not. Don't say it. Or you're all getting all these messages, but that day the interpreter is sick and he's not there today. So you're going to have to keep it quiet and not say a word. There is control that is being exercised. And I think that is so important to see an important picture of what is given by God, that those who claim to have the spirit today, I show you four different rules that are directly violated. And so that even if these things did exist, which we have seen in our study, they don't. What is being practiced today is a direct violation of God's word. Similarly, notice verses 29 through 33. He now gives the rules to the prophets. And what we're going to notice is really the rules are the same. He says two, three at most. You could have a, a, a great number of people with the gift of prophecy. But he says, I don't want any more than three, two or three at most. That's all we're going to have in the assembly. And he tells them everybody else is supposed to listen. They're not supposed to talk over the prophecy. They're supposed to listen and evaluate the words that are being taught. He tells them that, that basically they're going to be speaking in turn. Verse 31, that you can all prophesy one by one, not simultaneously. One prophet speaks, everybody else is absolutely silent. Then another person speaks, everybody else is listening and evaluating. And notice the reason why in verse 31. So everybody can learn and everybody can be encouraged. Over and over again in this chapter, assembly is about building up the body of Christ, about building up the faith. Over and over again, Paul is emphasizing that. Here he does it again. He says, I want the prophets each in turn. So that there can be learning, there can be understanding, there can be encouragement. And verse 32 is the explanation. What was implied to us to the tongue speaker is explicitly said. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, essentially. You don't have to speak prophet just because you had a revelation. You are not slain in the spirit and out of control and causing chaos. You have the power to remain silent. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Therefore, even if you had a bunch of people who had a gift of prophecy, only two, maybe three are going to speak at any given time. No more. The rest of the prophets were to remain quiet. And the reason why is given there in verse 33. That God is not the author of confusion. Basically, there's no reason for chaos and interruption. To put it another way, learning can't happen in chaos, right? If everybody, like all of us in this room, we all decided to all start reading and teaching different passages from the Bible. All right, one, two, three, go. Who's going to learn anything? It's going to be chaos, noise, interruption, no learning, no building up, no encouragement, nothing. Well, that sounds like what was going on. And so he's saying, God's not the author of confusion. He didn't give you these miraculous spiritual gifts, you Corinthians, so that we can have tongue speakers and prophets and interpreters all just blabbing all at the same time and just have total chaos going on in the room. One at a time. And a limit with specific rules. So that everybody could learn. Everybody could be encouraged. That that was the whole purpose of their assembling 
together. And so that is the picture that he gives to the prophets. Now in verses 33, in middle of verse 33, to verse 35, he gives directions to the women. Verse 33, as in all the churches for the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And then continue on. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And that rounds out his directions concerning miraculous spiritual gifts. Notice he begins in verse 33 and says what he is teaching to the Corinthian church is to be practiced by all of the congregations. That this is the rule that God has given. And I think that is important. Because sometimes what people will do is they'll come into the book of Acts or other letters of the New Testament and they'll say, well, that's culturally specific and that's only to the Corinthian church and it doesn't apply to any of the other churches or us today. It was just a problem for them and so we don't have to abide by the things that we see here. Now I want you to see that verse 33 drives directly against that. Paul says, what I'm telling you is as in all the churches. This is the pattern that is being given. It is the direction given by God. And then he gives, I think, verse 34, perhaps top 10 verse of things taken out of context. Right? Women keep silent in the church. As a kid, I grew up. I was just that, that, that little line got thrown all over the place. And there you go. Well, we need to ask the question, what is this talking about? Why is this direction being given? What is this supposed to look like in the assembly? I think it's first worthy to observe that the word for silent here is the same word that he used regarding the tongue speaker and the prophet. He is calling for absolute silence. This is not the same word like in 1 Timothy 2 that speaks of a woman learning in quietness and submissiveness. It's not that word. This is the word that you see see with the tongue speaker, if two or three tongue speakers spoke, you are to stay absolutely silent, tongue speaker. And if there's been two or three prophets, then the other prophets, absolutely silent. And it's the same word here, women, absolutely silent. And so we need to then consider, well, what is Paul saying? What does that mean? What does that look like? Is Paul saying that in any assembly like this, no matter what is going on, women cannot make a sound? No talking, no singing, no confession of sin, no nothing. Is that what he's getting at here? And I think it's important to keep in mind what has been the context of these three chapters. What has been the whole of this discussion, but a discussion concerning spiritual gifts? This is what the whole thing has been about. In regards to the tongue speaker, the tongue speaker is not being told, you cannot sing, you cannot uh, say amen, you cannot confess your sins, you must now be absolutely silent. No, the absolute silence was in regards to the gift. Same thing to the prophet. The prophet was to remain absolute. Does that mean the prophet couldn't lean singing that day? No, it just meant 
absolute silence in regard to the gift. And Paul continues to give those directions here now as he moves to the women. I don't have time to do a big uh, tangent point here, but just to observe, the scriptures tell us that women had gifts of prophecy. We know that from like the book of Acts. We know of uh, Philip's four daughters that are able to prophesy. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 that being referred to of the the women there and their uh, praying and prophesying is described there in chapter 11. We see in the scriptures that women possessed miraculous spiritual gifts and what Paul is saying is they are to remain silent in regard to that gift. Now, to understand what this means for us, let's ask a really important question. Why? Why was it that the men were allowed to use their spiritual gifts under certain rules and circumstances? But when it came to the women, they're not allowed to. And notice he gives an explanation in verse 34. He says in verse 34, because or for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Paul's declaration is this. For them to speak is going to cause them to be out of submission. So that asks an important question. How would that be? What is Paul looking at as he writes this and says the reason why women are to keep silent in the assemblies is because if they do not, they are going to be out of submission and violating the very law that God has given. I want us to back up and think for a moment that speaking in general does not break submission. And here's how we can prove that. We did Ephesians not that long ago. A bazillion other texts that I've thrown on the screen there is that we're told that wives are to be in submission to their husbands. Does that mean that when the wife speaks to the husband, that's now breaking submission? (laughs) Speech alone isn't that. Uh, In fact, for men to obey 1 Peter 3, verse 7, which says to dwell with their wives in an understanding way is going to require a dialogue. We're going to have to talk. We're going to have to understand each other and speak to one another. The point that I'm observing is that speaking alone has nothing to do with being in submission or out of submission. We practice that in our marriages, that wives are still in submission to their husbands and practice that beautifully, even though there is communication, even though women speak. So we are asking then a really important question. How would it be that a woman speaking in the assembly would be lacking submission? Why would that be the case? Because that's what he describes there in verse 34. They need to keep silent because otherwise submission will be broken. And as we've observed, speaking alone doesn't accomplish that. So what would it be? And I submit to you the only logical explanation that fits the context and the message is that speaking in the assembly is to take the lead. That was the very problem of what's going on. Here's the tongue speaker speaking. And somebody else in the middle that just starts going and giving their tongue and going, and then the prophet starts talking and speaking. And he's saying, when somebody speaks, you have the lead. It represents, I think, very similarly to the scenario that we have right now. 
Whoever's talking has lead over the congregation. For a while, it was JP this morning. He's standing before you and he's speaking and he's leading. He has charge over the group. And when we had the Lord's Supper, as Dan was speaking, he had charge over the assembly. And the one who leads prayer, he has charge over the assembly. And the one who's giving announcements has charge over the assembly. And right now, as I speak, I have charge over the assembly because whoever stands before this group and speaks is in the lead. That's the way it is set. And it sounds like that's the way it was set then. And so the point that he would be making then is the reason why you cannot exercise your gift is because you would be taking the lead. It would be the same as coming up here and proclaiming a sermon or coming up here and leading in the Lord's Supper. You're taking the lead and that does violate what the scriptures teach. Like 1 Timothy 2 and verse 11, let women learn in learn quietly with all submissiveness for I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. This is what God has given to speak in an assembly like what we have right now would be to take the lead. And so if a woman were to stand up with her spiritual gift and said, I've got a prophecy from God, everybody be quiet and let me teach it to you, would directly violate what Paul wrote to Timothy and would directly violate what we see in Genesis 2, which is what I think the law is referring to, Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, the creation order. That then, I think, helps get a handle on what this is describing to help us then have proper application to what God wants us to understand. Therefore, singing is not taking away authority. For all of us, when we come together and we're all singing, the women don't have to stay silent because that's not taking authority over the congregation, not taking authority over the assembly. Coming forward and confessing sins is not doing that, is not taking over the assembly or saying amen, things like that. Teaching kids Bible classes is not in view either. That does not mean you're lacking submission either. Speaking in a Bible study does not either, whether in the building or in a home, because somebody has the lead. As like this morning's Bible class, as I stand before you and I am at calling on various people and speaking, and I have lead over the congregation. But that would be entirely different if a woman came up at the lectern and said, all right, now I'm going to take the Bible study. Well, now we're in violation of what 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 are driving at. And so that should be the test and the understanding of what Paul is describing is that any speaking that takes authority over the assembly, that's the violation. And that's what he's writing to here. And that's why he would say there needs to be absolute silence. Don't do something that is going to cause you to teach or have authority over the assembly. That's what first Timothy two is driving at. Not to be able to practice it that way. And so that then helps, I think, verse 35. Verse 35, I think, has always been a difficulty for many. And says in verse 35, If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the assemblies. That's actually a plural there. It's interesting. So I'm going to go with in the assemblies or in the churches. Why would that be the case? What does that mean right there? And what makes the most logical sense in putting what we've seen in the Corinthian church doing is it is not her place then to verbally disagree with a prophetic teaching. 
That appears to be the situation. Here is somebody and they're speaking in their gift that's been given. And she stands up and goes, no, I've got this prophecy. And he goes, no, no, no. If you're not going to verbally disagree like that, why would that be the case? Because we're seeing the principle. Whoever speaks has the lead. Whoever speaks has the floor. If somebody right in the middle of this lesson now start got stood up and started speaking for five minutes, you'd have the lead. And he said, that can't happen. So that's why that can't be is because that would usurp authority that would take the lead over the assembly. Therefore, you have that prophetic gift or whatever spiritual gift that you would have. That kind of thing needs to happen at home. And so what you see then for us is of a similar practice. The questioning happens after the assembly, not during the assembly. And the whole point is because all of these things are to be done so that there can be building up, so that there can be learning. If we didn't have that, we would have chaos going on right now. I don't see it that way. Let's talk about this text instead. No, that's not going to work. Now everybody's going to be out of turn, out of order, which is what verses 36 through 40 are all about. That God wants things to be orderly. In fact, notice in verse 36, he basically gives it to them and says, do you think that you get to do things however you want to do them? (laughs) You know, you almost get this picture in the Corinthian church. Well, we have gifts and we can do whatever we want to do. So here we are in the assembly on Sunday and we'll run it however we want to run. You think that only happened to you that you received the word of God, that you're going to run things that you want to run them? You don't have that right. There is an order and a pattern that God has given and you don't get to run the assembly how you want to run it. Oh, we need to hear that today. Because there's a lot of groups that are all about, well, we'll just do whatever we want to do. We'll just have it however we want to have it. Paul says, no. He has spent a whole chapter, huge paragraph explaining, here's how I want the assembly to go. He didn't do that for his health. God wants it to be done in a certain way. And I think that's so important to see that he gives that to them. In verse 37, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. You can hear what's going on. Somebody in the audience is saying, well, I got a message right now. And Paul says, I don't care. I have the authority of God. And I told you at the end of three prophets, just stop talking. (laughs) You can see that there was an argument basically with what Paul was directing. So much so, notice verse 38. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And I think what Paul just said there is, if you don't observe these rules of worship, then you're not recognized by God. You are in no fellowship with God. You think you're worshiping God? You're not worshiping God. If you have chaos or breaking these rules, you're not worshiping God. And you are not recognized by God. So God cares about how we run our worship. So much so that he says there in verse 40, when he says that all things should be done decently and in order. And I want to remind that our context is not, that means everybody do it traditionally. It means the goal is spiritual building up. And the only way for people to have their faith grown and encouraged and learn is if things are done orderly. 
If it's chaos, nobody's learning. And so that's supposed to be our focus. Take turns. Don't speak over one another. Focus on building up. It would be a disaster if while JP is leading his song, Dan would have at the same time start talking about the Lord's Supper and remember his Christ's death and I started preaching my sermon. Chaos. One at a time. Focus on one thing at a time so that we can grow, so that we can be built up. That is the reason why all these rules were given. And so to sum it up, how we worship God matters. And we need to proclaim that to people. And it's a great question to even ask your friends. Do you think it matters how we worship God? And use that. If they say yes, oh, okay, then let's look at what how God said we're supposed to do those things. And if the answer is no, well, okay, well then, so you think we can just do things however we want to do them and it doesn't matter to God whatsoever, even though he's given us all of these directions? It does matter to God. And God does not recognize us if we break this order, that these things were given for a purpose so that we would learn, that we would be encouraged, that we could grow and maintain our proper places and our proper roles. That's the goal that is supposed to be before us. And then I think just as a reminder, as we sum up this whole series and we we bring this whole thing to a conclusion concerning miraculous spiritual gifts, what the scriptures give us over and over again is that everything you need to know God and to draw closer to him has been revealed in his word. Let me read to you again, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, a passage that we know very well, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. And then when we come together, we take the word of God and we use it in such a way so that that can happen. That we can be made complete through the word of God, equipped for every good work to go out and teach the world. Here's what God has to say. And we can find hope and salvation through his glorious words. I hope this series has been useful. I've already compiled these lessons into a packet on the back. So you can distribute like the other series that we've done. And I'll just keep putting four or five out there. So don't worry if it goes low, take them all. And I'll just keep putting more and more out there. And we'll keep trying to get this out there. Because what I see going on today is disturbing. That nobody wants to come back to just the word of God and let's do things the way God says. That's everything, and we need to be proclaimers of it. You pull your song books out, we're singing an invitation song, and we invite you to see the glorious Jesus and see that he has given his rules and his laws and his directions for our good. That these rules and laws are not to oppress us and suppress our creativity or something like that. It's so that we can grow. So that we can learn what he has to say and gives us an assembly like this that we can sing songs that build our faith and grow in our knowledge. That we can center on the Lord's Supper and remember Christ's death and strengthen our resolve and grow in that faith because of the sacrifice of Christ. That we have the opportunity to open God's word and to read those words and hear what God has to say and learn from them to be able to come together and pray together. To carry our burdens before God. 
It is a great blessing to have the assembly. And may we continue to use these things in a way that is godly and right and ultimately builds up our faith and encouragement. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you turn away from your sins? And be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be a child of His. Have your sins washed away. Enter into that glorious relationship and have the hope of eternal life. We beg you to come and do that now while we stand and while we